All right. We are continuing in the series that we started last week, and we find ourselves in 1 Timothy. So let's have God's Word open us up to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we will be reading verses 3 through 11. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. And when you're there, I'll ask you to please rise for the reading of God's Word. Now this is the Word of the Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience in a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Last week, we started our new series in 1 Timothy, and we are talking about how we can build on the foundations that we already know. From last week, we know that this letter is written by the Apostle Paul to his child in the faith, a young man named Timothy. And we see that in this context, as this letter is being written, that Timothy as a young man is beginning to be endowed and entrusted to lead the next generation of the church. We see that Paul was this very charismatic, fervent man who's led by conviction and passion. Now charging young Timothy, who we see oftentimes timid and unsure, to be bold and to lead his church. And as we continue in the letter this morning, we find ourselves again as Paul addresses Timothy it seems that Paul is starting to order and and, and put into uh, categories and address specific things in the church. He is laying it out for Timothy here. I want to draw our attention to a little phrase here, mise en place, but I think it's French and it's pronounced mise en place. And this phrase here is often used in the restaurant world, in the kitchen, by chefs or line cooks. And this term, it means everything in its place. Everything in its place. This is how uh, Anthony Bourdain 
describes and, and tries to, to help us understand what this means. He says, mise en place is the religion of all good line cooks. As a cook, your station and its condition, its state of readiness is an extension of your nervous system. The universe is in order when your station is set up the way you like it. You know where to find everything with your eyes closed. Everything you need during the course of the shift is at the, red, is at the ready at arm's reach. That's what, that's what the inside of your head looks like now. Messy station equals messy mind. This phrase, this term, this understanding speaks to a, a meticulous state or a preparation that, that hopes for the best and braces for the worst. It's a, it's a ordering, an organizing, a, a, a laying out, a setting into place all the different moving parts, your seasonings, your, your garnish, your main ingredients portioned and cut out already with your tiles and your knives, your spoons, your ladles, your thermometers, your pots, pans, all that you need is put into order in a very meticulous way so that when the madness hits, you know what to do and you know where everything is. Now, I grew up with a lot of uh, time in the restaurant. My parents have a restaurant. I grew up working in different places as well, some of them being Outback Steakhouse, Starbucks, and even my parents. It gets busy at times. And any of you who have worked in the restaurant, you know that this type of meticulous order is important. It doesn't matter if you're type A or type B. Order and meticulousness, details are important. And, and when everything is set and when the busyness hit, you know that, that, that whether you're a barista or, or a cook, you're just going. And I remember watching my dad as he cooks. He's in the station with the grill. It's about this size. And it's just him, and he's going, and he's got plates, he's cracking eggs, getting the meat out of the walk-in, kicking it closed, and he's just, it's almost this beautiful symphony. And Bourdain uses this term of the economy of movement. And we see that the Apostle Paul, in some ways, as he is passing the torch to Timothy, is, is now putting into place all the things that are important. He is laying out for Timothy the big picture as well as all the little details. The Apostle Paul here, as he prepares Timothy to take the next generation of the church in faithfulness, he is ordering, putting into place, and instructing Timothy how to lead. If we look in the book, we see in chapter 1, Paul addresses false doctrines and the true gospel. Chapter 2, he, he then goes into the applications of the true gospel and, and what it looks like in prayer and worship. In chapter 3, he, he goes into qualifications and the integrity of leaders. Chapter 4, he talks about how to remain faithful when, when some are leaving the faith. In chapter 5, he then goes into specific instructions to the household of faith. He, he addresses widows and the elderly. And then in chapter 6, he reiterates the charge to Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. Paul here is putting into order in a very specific way as he guides Timothy what is important here. And one of the first things he's addressing is false teachers. So today's main point is that the church is called to steward the gospel with love. The church is called to steward the gospel in love. 
And we'll look at the three points, the charge, the aim, and the mark. So first point, the charge. In verse 3 to 4, we see Paul instructing Timothy in this way. He says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. Paul is telling Timothy, remain here. There is something for you to do. Remain here and charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Paul is charging Timothy to then give a charge to certain people. Paul, an apostle who was sent by the command of God with the hope of Christ, is now saying, Timothy, I am charging you, I am commanding you, I am exhorting you to now charge certain people, what? To not teach any different doctrine or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogy. Paul urges Timothy to address these people who seem to be teaching weird things, things that are not in line with Scripture and the understanding of who Christ is and what He has done. Paul is telling Timothy that you indeed have the authority to do this, to to charge someone or to command someone means that there is authority behind it. As Paul was sent out as an apostle by the command of God, Paul is now telling Timothy, I am sending you, I am passing this charge on to you. It's kind of like a little little biblical Under Armour commercial. Will you protect this house? Paul is saying. He's saying you must address and charge certain people because they are not teaching good and sound doctrine. They're getting lost. They're devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Paul is reminding Timothy, although you may be a young man, although you may not be me, that you are now called by God's authority to address people who are teaching things that are not agreeing with the gospel. This means that this charge or command is not not given by the authority or power or reverence of Timothy's achievement or even his reputation, nor by even Paul himself. But this authority is given by God, by the command of God, by the word of God. He says, Timothy, charge certain persons to stop teaching these different doctrines, to, to stop devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies because these things are promoting and it's increasing and causing speculation. Now, we don't know exactly what these false teachers were saying, but we do know that it was contrary to what the Bible was teaching. It was contrary to the work and life of Christ. Some people get lost in all sorts of things. You know, as you hear the news, that they can get into rather rather very intricate, detailed things that don't really line up or don't really have any true effect to what the gospel says. Paul is saying there are going to be people, there are people in fact right now in Ephesus that are teaching weird things, 
that are teaching different doctrines. They're getting lost in myths and, and tracing endless genealogy of who came from who, who came from who, and so this person is now given this authority. People are getting lost in these irrelevant things. And he's saying that as these teachers are teaching these false doctrines, as these false teachers are devoting themselves to, to these endless discussions, Paul is saying that in the church and around us, there seems to be an increase or a cause of speculation. That this is resulting in, in, in people searching and questioning and debating. It's causing controversy. It's, it's demanding meaningless investigation that leaves the soul more parched than quenched. Paul is saying, rather, we need to understand that we have a stewardship from God by faith. Paul is saying, charge these certain people to stop teaching and devoting themselves to these things because it is causing speculative discussion. It is causing discussion that is not fruitful. It is causing division. It's not based on any facts. You need to tell these people to stop teaching these things. And so we know in this context, as, as young Timothy is starting to, to embark in, in, in this ministry, that one of the first things Paul charges him to do is to defend the faith, to defend the doctrines of what they believe. You know, I, I come across a lot of people, and especially when they find out I'm a pastor or when they knew I was a seminary student, they... they they start asking weird questions and start, they start to, well, they, they're fake asking because they want to assert. They start asserting very crazy things. I've, I've met some strange people at Barnes & Noble. I don't know what it is, but Barnes & Noble seems to attract um, people with, with, with interesting doctrines, to say the least. I've, I've encountered office secretaries as I was waiting um, talk about a um, pretty interesting view of uh, sanctification and sin and I've met people on street corners in Love Park, and, and, and they're, they're promoting and teaching really interesting doctrine that, that seems not to make sense or align with, with Scripture. I've even seen brothers and sisters in, in seminary who seem to make big deals of, of things that don't really seem too relevant. And, and church history, old and modern, it, are filled with teachers and students and even pastors who have, who have gone astray, who, who have, have given themselves into, into myths and endless genealogies and doctrines that seem so interesting and, 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 and thought-provoking, yet it, it, it produces no true fruit. I've, I've, I've engaged with people who, who are so fascinated by star alignments, dates, times, the axis of the world, perceived inconsistencies of the Bible, conspiracy theories, alien inv invasions, artificial intelligence takeover, secret religious sects that meet together and perform mystic arts. I mean, it can go on and on and on. And some of them are very blatant and some of them are very subtle. That takes place perhaps even in the conversations of our own groups. And it's, it's scary what people can do with the book of Revelation, isn't it? When you hear someone who's so gripped by the book of Revelations in, in a way that, that doesn't seem in line with the whole of Scripture, they start going into a lot of doom and darkness and, and, and anxiousness. But Paul is saying here, remember this, 
Timothy, your charge is not only to stop and to tell these guys to stop teaching these things in the church, but you're also charged to teach what is true and what is sound. So then he goes in, second point, verse 5 through 7. He says this, and this is important. If the charge is to teach sound doctrine and to stop those who are not teaching sound doctrine, then the aim of that charge, what does he say? The aim of our charge is love that comes from a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. Paul is saying that false doctrines, false teachers, people who devote themselves to all these things in the Bible or or outside of the Bible, those things cause division. Those things cause havoc. Those things cause speculation. But he's saying, Timothy, remember this. What we believe, what we preach about Christ, the aim of it is love. The aim of that is love. It ought to come from a pure heart that is renewed by God. It ought to come from a good conscience that is led by the Holy Spirit. It's supposed to come with a sincere faith that trusts in Christ. And so Paul again is instructing Timothy, as you're doing this, remember that the aim of our charge is love. That it ought to come from a place where our hearts have been deeply transformed by God, from a conscience that is led by the Spirit through prayer and meditating on His Word, and through a sincere faith that trusts in Christ in the face of life's doubts. He says, this is our aim, Timothy. Paul is trying to drive it in and make it clear that the aim, the goal, the destination, the the end result is love. A love that knows who God is through the saving work of Christ. Paul is trying to drive this in, but he says this as he continues in verse 6 and 7. He says, but certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion. And this is Paul just, just, just saying it like it is, right? He says, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding what they are saying, nor the things which they make confident assertions. This is the way Paul describes false teachers. This is the way that Paul describes them. He says they are swerving. They are wandering. They are desiring without understanding and yet still making confident assertions. What he is basically saying is that their aim is off. That their aim is swerving. What he is saying is that they are intoxicated and lost. And worst of all, given their state, they are confident in it. You don't want to get in the car with them. At a time when people are preaching all sorts of things, Paul is reminding Timothy and the church and even you and I in our day and age with so many various and weird things out there to keep our aim on the love of Christ. He is charging us to remember, to teach and to promote and to engage in sound doctrine that we see in our scriptures. When I went to school at USP, it was great. It was a hard school. I barely made it out of there alive. 
But one of the best things I remember looking back is gym class. I know not a lot of universities or colleges require you to do gym class, but we were required to do so. And one of the things that we had to do in gym class was take rifling and archery. And I don't know if it was an old wartime type of mandate that they never dissolved, but we were required to take rifling and archery as part of our credits, and it was awesome. We did it all. We laid down, they set us up, you know, they gave us a box of bullets, we had to write our initials, sign it out, and they had a target, and we just laid there for gym class, and we just kept shooting the target. Aim, shoot, talk about it. Aim, shoot, talk about it, and just continue to practice. And something interesting that I learned as we were doing this is that the instructor, our gym teacher, uh, said that there's a difference between accuracy and, and precision. He said accuracy is, is, is when you are close to the mark, when, you, when your aim is close to where you want to hit it. He says precision can mean that you're not close to the aim or the mark, but you are clustered in the same spot. You are precise even though the target is not close. And so you can be precise but way off of what the main target is. And so it was interesting because a lot of times when we're, when we're going at it, you want to kind of first build up the consistency, right? And then you can draw it in to try to get the accuracy going. As Paul is addressing Timothy and, and, and instructing him, he's saying that our aim has to be true and that aim is love, that that must be accurate and persistent, that there is a goal, that there is an aim, there is a target, there is a mark, and that mark is God's heart. And so as we look at the third point, the mark, the Apostle Paul continues. He says, the law is good if used rightly or properly. Now, just before this, Paul goes on and he says that there are some people who are teaching the law. They want to be teachers, but they're swerving away because their aim is wrong. They want to make these confident assertions. They think they understand it, and so they're trying to teach people. But Paul is saying something is not right here. He's saying that the law is good in reference to the Ten Commandments. There's nothing wrong with the law, but there is something up with the way that people are teaching this law. We know that it is good if used properly. Then he continues to go on and he lists in summary the things of the Ten Commandments. He's saying that, that the law was given so that people who realize that they are sinners would come and have faith in God. Now we don't know again exactly what they are teaching. And many commentators, they have gone into it, they studied, and then they said, we're not sure exactly what Paul is reacting against, but the point that Paul wants to make is not what they're teaching, but what we should teach. But oftentimes, in the history of the church, when we're talking about the law, and some of you, as you were here with us in the Ten Commandments, know that a lot of the false teachings can be categorized into two different ideas. First, that of legalism, and second, that of antinomianism. 
Now first, legalism. Legalism is teaching, it's this basic understanding that if you keep the law, that if you obey all the Ten Commandments perfectly, that you can, you can earn your salvation. There are some other religions that take this concept and they say it might not be the Ten Commandments, it might be these set of laws, that you can earn salvation, that you can find some kind of forgiveness of, of all your wrongs, and you can earn a good eternal life. That if you stay by the law, if you obey according and live to it, that you can earn salvation, that you can earn a life that is good. And Paul is saying, this is not true either. And we know that all of Scripture says this, that God does not save us according to our good works, but according to the work of Christ. And so whether it's legalism, whether people are teaching, hey guys, you have to be perfect. You have to do these things. Paul is saying, that's not right. And so I want to take a second here to address us. Even the mature Christian, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you know that the truth is we still struggle with this fundamental understanding. It's beginner's knowledge, but it's advanced practice. We know that we can't earn our salvation. We know that we can't earn God's love. But oftentimes we find ourselves doing it, don't we? But Paul is reminding us once more that given our broken, sinful state, we can never earn God's love. We can never earn it. And now the next idea is antinomianism. A good way to remember this, anti, you know that means it goes against. Nomianism comes from the Greek word nomos, means law, anti-law, anti-nomos. This idea stated that once you receive salvation from God, you don't have to do anything. Because God loves me, he forgives, and now I have a license to do whatever I want. And perhaps some people were teaching this, and Paul is saying this is not true either. No, you can't earn it, and no, even after you receive it, you can't just do whatever you want. So Paul is now saying these things are not true, and what we want to focus in on is the fact that the laws and the rules of God, they are good. But you have to understand that salvation is the free gift that God gives. Let me, let me give you an illustration. If, you, if the hospital is giving out a free medication and, and, and you go, the, the first thing you have to acknowledge is that, yeah, I'm sick, I need this medicine, right? And so then when you go and you receive this free gift, you don't just put it in your pocket and walk away and, cool, man, I received it, I should be good. No, you follow the instructions on how to take this medication so that as you take it, as it goes into your system, it does what it has to do. Similarly, as Christians, as we receive the free gift of salvation through Jesus from God, we follow God's laws, his rules, not to earn it, the gift was already given, so that we can live in it well. J.G. Machen gives a quote here. He says, the gospel does not abrogate God's law, but it makes men love it with all of their hearts. What we're being told is that if we truly understand the salvation that is given to us by God, that we would desire to obey his commands. And so let me conclude 
with a few practical ways to steward the gospel with love. First, I know this might sound a little self-serving, but this is one of the reasons why in the church we have pastors. We have people who have been trained, tested, proved, and called to authoritatively proclaim and exercise God's word and rule. This is one reason why when you guys select or choose or pray for a pastor, that you are looking for someone who has been properly trained, tested, and proven to be able to teach God's word according to what it is. But let me say this, that a pastor is not immune to false teaching. This is really important. This is the reason why we often show the Bible on the screen. This is often why we ask you to refer to the verse. And this is why we want you to study your Bibles. If ever the pastor says something that is contrary to God's word, people need to start saying, hold on. What are you talking about? Where are you getting this? Where is this from? See, the charge is to Timothy in this context, but for you and I, we understand that this charge is given to now the whole church. Yes, there are men who have been ordained to teach and to proclaim properly God's word, but there are also the members as priesthoods of all believers who are also called to teach and to proclaim and to be students of God's word. I want to make this really clear because I, I know a lot of times we can get very passionate up here, especially me. I know we can say, guys, we got to forgive. We got to love one another. We got to stop doing this. We got to do this. We got to do this. And, 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 and in any context, if, if, if that is just the charisma of the speaker just, just going off and you're convinced by that, then you're in danger, right? The pastor should never start going, guys, this is what we need to do. You need to do this. You need to love. You need to repent. You need to turn to God. We don't say these things because it is in line with our fruition or, or, or our desires of what religion should be. We don't do these things because we've experienced it or we've been taught it and we think, yeah, maybe it sounds like this is the best way for a society to function and run. No, when we are preaching authoritatively, when we are commanding, when we are charging, when we are exhorting you, we are doing it according to God's word. When we say, church, we need to forgive one another. This is not saying, hey, guys, please, I'm just asking you for the sake of my job, so that people don't think I'm just messing around. Please, forgive each other. You know, when we say, guys, we need to repent and turn to the Lord, I'm not just saying, hey, guys, I got a good idea on how to, how to, how to practice this thing, Christianity. No, we are commanding you these things with the authority of God's word because it's his word. It's his word. I can say that to you in confidence and in boldness. Because I know it's not my own will, it's not my own words. I know that I've not earned it with my education or experience. And trust me, I'm, I'm, I'm a bigger fool than most of you in here. If I was teaching and preaching from my experience and education, you guys would be in trouble. But as the word of God binds the preacher, as the word of God dictates and leads the teaching, we are instructed. Now, I mentioned that not only is it for the pastor, but as a church now, we are called to uphold sound doctrine. 
And so then a practical understanding of this for us all is to continue to be students of God's Word. You know, I'm afraid that perhaps in our culture as as the screens have becoming more of the venue for what we are seeing and looking at, that, that, that perhaps our, our Bibles are, are getting lost through all the digitized things. I'm afraid that as we always throw up the scriptures up there, as we do a quick reference or Google, that we, we are not becoming familiar with God's Word, but, but church, people of God. If we are to truly take Paul's charge to Timothy faithfully now, we are called to be students of God's Word. How do we know what is false teaching? How can we identify a false teacher? Only if we are a faithful student of God's Word. If the only time you are getting fed God's Word is Sunday morning, then you are malnourished. I don't care if you have the best preacher that Sunday. I don't care if you listen to three sermons on a Sunday. I don't care if you listen to sermons all throughout the week. If you don't have a regular discipline of being a student of God's word, then you will be malnourished. And some of the side effects of those malnourishments are feeling lost, feeling empty, feeling far. Church, we are called to be students of God's word. We're also called to teach God's word. I saw a great picture this past week, and one, once in a while as I'm, as I'm scrolling through social media, I see a really, really awesome or provocative quote, and I saw this picture of this old samurai. He's great, and he's in his you know, samurai uniform. I don't know what it's called. He's got the, he's got the sword. He's got the lean. He's an old man. He's seasoned. Ah, he's got some scars. He's tested. And this is what the quote read. I, that, that picture is important because I, let me tell you what the quote read. It says this. A teacher is a student who teaches to continue his study. I love that. I love that. A, a teacher is a student who teaches to continue his study. And I, and I think that that's true. That's true for, for pastors who are theologically trained, and that's true for any of us who are growing in the knowledge of God. And that's why some of you, although you may not feel ready, we have asked you to continue to serve and now teach in our community groups and in our Bible studies. We have called some of you guys to be leaders in these ways. It's so that you can continue to grow as a student, so that we can learn, teach, guard, and then repeat this discipling understanding. So brothers and sisters, can I encourage us this morning, if we are to truly build on the foundations that we know, if we are to really build on our belief in Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we need to know what the scriptures say entailing those things. We need to be able to guard one another against false teaching and false doctrines. Let's continue to be students. Let's continue to be teachers. Let's continue to guard the faith. And as Paul continues, we'll see next week that he will really just flush out what the gospel is. I know this week it might have been a little slow. He's addressing all the false teachers, the doctrines. He's saying there's a lot of weird business going on out there. And next week in our text he says, but this is what we believe. And basically, to put it in a nutshell, Paul says, we believe that we are sinners 
who are saved by Christ's work on the cross, that we are sinful and that through him we are forgiven and given new life. He's saying that's the foundation of the faith. That is what we are building on, and we must protect that doctrine, that understanding. So in conclusion, the church is called to steward the gospel with love. Brothers and sisters, the charge is to steward. It's to steward well, to to put into order, to, to cultivate and to brew up godly discussions and questions and searching that is found in the scripture. The the aim is to do this lovingly. And the mark is to understand the gospel more fully. Let's pray together.